Cast your burden on the Lord, and he will sustain you. He will never permit the righteous to be moved. Lord, right now we capture in our mind's eye the burden in our life. And then we make a choice to cast that burden upon you. You are much better equipped than we are to carry it, to deal with it correctly, righteously. We receive back the truth that you will sustain us, that you will not let us be moved, that you will take care of us, take care of that burden. Lord, we're gathered here to worship you today, to uh, hear from your word, and to encourage each other in Christ. Right now we declare that we know we have need of you. We have need of more of your presence in our life. So we open ourselves up, Spirit of God, come have your way with us, comfort us, challenge us, encourage us, give us vision, touch us just the way we need to be touched by your hand. We submit this to you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, in Christ's name, amen. Brian Williams, he, uh, NBC Nightly News anchor. February of this year, they, he was suspended for six months without pay. Why? Well, because uh, he had claimed to be in a Chinook helicopter that was hit by an RPG and had uh, to make an emergency landing. He said this uh, on national television. Well, the problem was, it was uh, he misrepresented, is what they said. He misrepresented the facts. In 2003, he had been... Uh, doing some journalism in Iraq, and he was on in a Chinook, Chinook helicopter. He was part of a convoy, and one of those helicopters was hit by an RPG and forced to make an emergency landing. But it was 30 minutes in front of his helicopter, Brian's helicopter. Well, in 2003, when he first reported on this, he told it like it actually happened. But by 2007, he'd begun to collapse the story to... The 30, you know, the RPG hit the helicopter 30 minutes in front of me to, whoa, we were caught up in a firestorm. And, and now here in 2015, January 30th, he declares on national television, the Chinook helicopter I was in got hit by an RPG, was forced to make an emergency landing. He misrepresented the truth, what we might call a, a lie. And, and so I'm sure you've, you know, caught wind of this because it's been all over the news. And we're all very, uh, very interested to, to hear what's, what is NBC going to do at the end of the six months? Are they going to let Brian Williams come back or are they going to just fire him altogether? And what they do will say a whole lot. I would say it'll say everything about what they value, won't it? How they respond to this uh, says all about what they value. Well, today we are talking about truthfulness, and there is something uh, similar going on in our Bible story today. So turn, if you would, to Acts chapter 5, story of Ananias and Sapphira. And now I'm going to start actually in chapter 4, verse 32. Uh, Luke, the writer of Acts, 
kind of gives us a, a, a picture of the early church and sort of its state of being. Acts 4.32. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. Thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Pretty, uh, pretty cool testimony. Uh, these early Christians were so enamored with the fact that Jesus Christ had, uh, had risen from the dead that uh, the things of this world had grown strangely dim, and they had no problem um, selling what they owned, sharing it with the whole community. And there's Joseph given uh, as an example of someone. Well, then we come to chapter 5. Uh, there are always exceptions, aren't there? But a man, a man named Ananias, with his wife Sapphira, sold a piece of property, and with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias... Why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but to God. Now notice here that Peter doesn't say, hey, we expected you to sell your land and give us everything. No, he says, listen, the land is yours. Uh, you were not obligated to sell it. Sure, others had been doing that. You didn't have to do that. Um, and if you sold it, you didn't have to bring us the entire, you didn't have to give us anything. The issue is uh, you brought us a sack of money and claimed that it was the price of the whole land when it really wasn't. The issue is you have lied to God. When Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last. And great fear came upon all who heard of it. The young men rose and wrapped him up and carried him out and buried him. Now, if this were the end of the story, I am sure the skeptics would have said it was a coincidental death. That he just happened to have a heart attack at this precise moment and the apostles chalked it up to divine judgment. They took advantage of a uh, a, a well-timed heart attack. But it's not the end of the story. Verse 7, After an interval of about three hours, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter said to her, Tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, Yes, for so much. But Peter said to, his, said to her, How is it that you have agreed together to test the Spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out. Immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. When the young men came in, and they found her dead, and they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. 
And great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard of these things. And that's the point of the story. Uh, this story is here so that we will have an appropriate fear of God. You know, the Proverbs 8 says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And a fearing, the fear of the Lord has gotten a bad rep today, but you know what? It's, it is very appropriate, it's very healthy, and it can motivate us to uh, uh, live rightly before the Lord. Now, what does it mean? Well, the fear of the Lord is not to keep us from wanting a, a, a relationship with God, but it's to help us relate to Him rightly. It's so that we remember God sees what we do, and it matters to Him. He cares. We live our lives ever before a watchful God, and that should give us a, a certain amount of reverence and, uh, uh, and caution and thoughtfulness in the way we live our lives. First point I want to make here is that uh, a truthful God demands truthfulness from his people. Uh, I do not know how God could have underlined more boldly, spiked more powerfully, communicated clear, more clearly uh, the value he places on truthfulness. What could he possibly have done that, uh, more dramatic than this to say, I, the God of truth, want my people to be truthful people. You've got to remember, this is the formation of the church. This is the first lie we know was told within the Christian community. And God dealt with it swiftly and severely. And, the, and, and the just, our just God, the punishment, always fits the crime. And so to take the life instantaneously of Ananias and Sapphira is a just punishment. Why? Because the crime is so significant. It is so severe. If you are a Christian then your father, the Bible says, God is light in him, there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with God and walk in the darkness, we lie and the truth is not in us. God does not deal in falsehoods. He does not deal in half-truths. He deals 100% in, in the honesty, in the light of day, complete integrity and truthfulness, and he says, that's who I want you to be. Now, if you lie... Uh, in church today, will God kill you? Uh, probably not. Don't test it. But probably not. He's making a point, right? He is making a point to the early uh, uh, Christians about what he values and who he is. Do we value truthfulness in our lives? The God of truth demands truthfulness from his people. Second thing I want to note here is that the, what is done in church is done to God. Look again at verse 4. Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but to God. Now, Ananias and Sapphira probably didn't think they were lying to God. They're like, wait a second, we dropped the, the sack of gold at the feet of the apostles. We're trying to deceive humans. We're not trying to lie to God. The problem is you're doing it in the church. And the church is the body of Christ. Christ is the head of the church. This is God's community. And what happens in the church is unlike any other institution because it's the community of God. 
and his people. Now the positive of that is that every sacrifice we make for the church, whether it's we write a, a check to su you know, support its mission or you get up early and go serve in, in children's church and you don't go fishing one weekend so that you can uh, help set up and tear down, hey, you're doing that to God and, he, and he's honored by that and he will reward you for that. But the caution is, when you're dealing with uh, the things of the church, you're dealing with the sacred. And we need to take that seriously. Third point here is that uh, I want to make is that our, our dishonesty uh, threatens the gospel witness or hurts the gospel witness. Absolutely at this time. Now catch this. If you look again at chapter 4, verse um, 33, we read this. With great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. The credibility of the gospel was absolutely linked to the credibility of the apostles. What were they doing? The apostles were going out, going throughout the world saying, let me tell you what I saw with my own eyes, touched with my own hands, heard with my own ears. Let me testify to you that Jesus is alive from the dead. The gospel's witness was dependent upon the credibility of the apostles. And in fact, I think that's one of the, it, uh, the primary, it might even be the primary reason God dealt so significantly, so severely with Ananias and Sapphira. Because God knew that any hint of deception in the early Christian community threatened the witness of the gospel. And God was spiking, not, look at this, Great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard of these things. Non-Christians heard about this. And what did it say? It said, uh, the God of those Christians does not tolerate deception at all. He is a truthful God, and you can believe when the apostles come and tell you what they've seen, they know full well their God won't allow them to stretch the truth or misrepresent what happened. Right? And so God was, God was safeguarding uh, the witness of the gospel by saying, we do not lie around here. We tell the truth. And so, therefore, you can trust our witness that Jesus Christ is alive from the dead. Now, the, the credibility of the gospels was dependent upon the, the credibility of the apostles. That's been decided. You know, that's done. And so our dishonesty doesn't, um, doesn't jeopardize the truthfulness of the gospel. But it certainly hinders our ability to get an audience, doesn't it? Because part of what we do is testify to the reality of God at work in our lives. And, and we need to be careful not to uh, sensationalize or over-dramatize our own spiritual experience. And if we have a reputation of, of, of being people who are not absolutely forthright, then our own testimony to uh, Christ is weakened, right? Let me take a moment. Let's talk a, a bit about uh, why Ananias and Sapphira lied. What was the motivation? The, bio, the, the text doesn't tell us directly the motivation, but I don't think it's hard to... Um, Hard to uh, uncover. Notice again how Joseph uh, 
verse 36 of chapter 4. Thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field, brought the money, laid it at the apostles' feet. Uh, I think that's an important part of the text. Ananias and Sapphira are part of the early Christian community, and they saw the attaboys that Joseph got, right? Dude, he got a cool name. The apostles are going around going, hey, son of encouragement, right? He got lots of pats on the back. Hey, uh, thank you for selling that field and uh, letting, letting us distribute it. Thank you for being all in, Barnabas. And so uh, Ananias and Sapphira, they might have started off with good intentions. Hey, we've got a field. Let's sell that. You know, this is a good thing. Somewhere along the line, they're like, ooh, we could use some of that ourselves, right? Well, okay. And that would have been perfectly fine. Why did they feel the need to deceive? Why did they feel the need to tell Peter, uh, we paid 10000 or we, we sold the field for $10,000 when, in fact, they sold it for fifteen? right? Here's why. Uh, they wanted to be perceived as all in without being all in. They were lying to enhance their own reputation in the community. That was it. They wanted to be uh, thought of by humans better than they really were. And that is a fundamental motivation for lying. People lie to present, uh, in large part, to present a false image of themselves. We, uh, we, we allow something to have been represented incorrectly. We flat out lie. We uh, tell partial truths. So that, and what are we doing? We're manipulating our image. We want people to think better of us than we imagine they would if they knew the real truth. Why did Brian Williams, I mean, I don't know for sure, but it's hard not to think Brian Williams uh, collapsed, you know, said I was in an RPG because that's more sensational. That just sounds cooler, right? That makes me look a little bit more exciting. And so Ananias and Sapphira, they, they lied because they wanted to be perceived as all in without actually having to be all in. But here is the point I want to make. Here's the point. Whenever we try to enhance our reputation among men by lying, what we've actually done is hurt our reputation with God. Let me say that again. When we lie in order to enhance our reputation before men, we actually hurt our reputation with God because God sees it, doesn't he? We're not fooling him. He sees the reality. And now we're, now we're, 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 we're liars, and so this really comes down to who do you value? Whose opinion of you do you value more? Do you value God's opinion of you or do you value human's opinion of you? Do you value God's opinion or your boss's opinion? God's opinion or your boyfriend, girl's friend's opinion? God's opinion or your kid's opinion? God's opinion or your church leader's opinion? God's opinion or your spouse's opinion? Whose opinion matters most? And if God's opinion of you matters most, then you will you will be ruthless with yourself about being truthful. So even though the world thinks less of you, you know God looks at me and says, there is a Nathaniel, a man in whom there is no guile. Don't you love that? When Jesus first encountered with Nathaniel, who became one of the apostles, here's a young man in whom there is no guile. This guy is honest just completely 
honest. What you see is what you get with Nathaniel. And that's an example for us, right? We want to be Nathaniels. So whose opinion matters most? God's opinion or man's opinion? And so the upshot is, the upshot is we need to speak truthfully. Speak truthfully with ourselves, with God, and with others. Uh, I think it was Socrates, I think, who said, know thyself. Uh, you know what? It is, a, it is a, a, a part of your spiritual discipline to, to not self-deceive. You have to work hard at this. You have to be, uh, you have to be aggressive. You have to be vigorous. You have to almost be violent with yourself to refuse to self-deceive. Boy, do we self-deceive. If you're drinking, you know, every single night when you come home and you just say, well, I, and I, just, I just use it to relax a little bit. Well, is that true or are you an alcoholic? If you're, you know, looking at porn quite regularly, what's going on there? Are you sexually addicted? Call it what it is. If you're, if you're getting hot behind the collar all the time and you're yelling at people and you're manipulating people with your anger, what are you? Well, I'm passionate. I'm a Latin. No. You're angry. Right? So, we have, first off, it starts with, I'm going to be brutally honest with myself. And only then can you be honest with God. Now, God already knows it. He sees you. He knows every hair on your head. Uh, he knows exactly the motivations of your heart. Uh, and you can't fool God anyways, but... When we're honest with ourselves, when we can come to God and we say, God, this is who I am. And that's confession. What is confession? It's agreeing with God with what, about what is true of you. And saying, God, I am this. Please help me. Please forgive me. And that's critical. Now, the, the scripture holds out the great uh, comforting promise. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just. We'll come. Uh, Forgive us our sins, cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's wonderful. But you've got to be honest with yourself and honest with God if you want to be forgiven and cleansed. And then we've got to be honest with other people. Which means it's all about reputation, right? What? Whose, whose opinion do I value more? Am I going to be uh, honest and allow my reputation with her or him or them go down so that with God my reputation is up. And for me, um, probably uh, it's surprising. Maybe it's surprising. I don't know. It's I fight the battle first line with my wife and being being honest with Sabrina, being truthful with her, not allowing there to be secrets, not allowing there to be um, me knowing that she's thinking. Uh, about me in a way that's inaccurate. And if I can win there, if I can win at home on this, um, you know, that's kind of ground zero in the battle for me. So I was, uh, I remember, I think I was 13, and I remember lying to my dad when I was 13. And this time I got away with it for a few days, but the, the hound of heaven, the spirit of God hounded me and I just couldn't rest. And finally I came to my dad and I confessed my lie. Dad, I've been lying to you. 
I was surprised. He didn't discipline me, actually. He just applauded me for being honest. And I remember at that age making a decision. I want to be an honest person. Um, and that's been a, um, a battle that I have fought and uh, I, I should say a commitment that I have um, clung to. And I am convinced that it is one of the, it is absolutely one of the most important um, decisions I made spiritually. And has, it has protected me from so much evil and so much junk. Um, and so I really encourage you, make a decision to be a person of truth, period. Let me end with this analogy. Um, I was thinking about uh, Lord of the Rings, the, the latest Hobbit one, and the trolls. And so Bilbo Baggins and the Fellowship of the Ring, uh, they get caught by trolls one night, and those trolls almost do them in. And so here's one thing about trolls is in the dark, they are incredibly powerful, and they will, uh, they will destroy you. They are just these uh, large, lumbering, destructive machines. But what happens in the day? They turn to stone. The trolls can't, uh, the light takes away their power and it turns them into stone. And so, of course, that's how Bilbo and the Fellowship of the Ring are saved. Light dawn upon you, right? And the light comes and these terrible trolls turn into stone. You know what? That's... I, I am convinced that sin operates this way. When, when sin is allowed to fester in the darkness, it grows in power and it wields tremendously destructive power in our lives. Satan is the father of lies. Satan, uh, darkness is his uh, fertile ground. He works in the shadows he works in the half-truths. He works in the lies. He loves it. He is powerful there. But you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. When you bring the sin into the light, its power in your life is broken. You want to be set free? You want to walk in freedom? You have got to bring the junk of your life out into the light where God is is. God is light in him. There is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and the truth is not in us. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with him and with each other. This is an incredibly important um, value topic. I think this is why God dealt so severely with the very first lie in the church. He's making a point. If you would bow your heads, close your eyes, we're going to take some time to, uh, to respond to the Lord, respond to this truth today. First off, how, maybe, maybe today God has convicted you that you are not properly valuing truthfulness. The God of truth demands truthfulness, truthfulness from his people. Maybe the decision you need to make today is a decision that says, from today on I will be a truthful person. I will be ruthless 
about speaking truth to myself, to God, to others. I will allow no deception in my life. And maybe that's your big takeaway today. And it might be that, you, that the Holy Spirit has convicted you by the fact that you esteem the, value, the, the praise of man more than the praise of God. And that you have been willing to lie in order to enhance your reputation with men. And God has said today, do you not care what I think about you? Is, my, is your reputation with me not important than your reputation with her or them or him? And so today maybe you say, God, thank you for uh, re reminding me of, of who you are and your rightful place in my life. I am choosing today to go down in their eyes in order that I may go up in your eyes. And it might be that today you know the sin in your life that is being coddled in the darkness, that is being given uh, destructive Reign and freedom and space in your life because you're hiding it. And God is calling you all during this message, bring that sin out into the light. Let me deal with it. Confess your sins one to another so that you might be healed. Do you want to be healed? Do you want to be set free? Then you need to go to a, a trusted brother or sister in Christ and you confess that sin, and you ask for them to pray for you and to help you find healing. Bring it into the light so that its power is broken in your life. God, we ask that you would place in our hearts the appropriate fear of you with regard to this whole issue of lying, this issue of honesty. We want to be honest people, truthful people. Lord, we want to fear the lie. We want to fear the half-truths. We want to fear the darkness and, it, and its kingdom. And we want to live in the light 100%. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.